Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, whether you're watching live or on the podcast, we're grateful that you're here today. We have a really awesome guest today. We always have awesome guests. We're so grateful and fortunate to have so many wonderful people. However, today, I, you know, it's a, it's funny the way the universe works and you cross paths with people and you're like, oh, great, we cross paths, but then you cross paths again. And you're like, wow, this is this is amazing. And so I wanna introduce you to our, our guest today because she's fantastic and she's got some great advice, great information she's gonna be able to share with us. So with that said, let me, let me just do a quick intro here for Valerie Pennington. My first interaction with Valerie was back in 2011. TechSmith held what was called the first Screen Champ Awards, which is something we don't do anymore, but it was an awesome contest where you could submit some uh, screencasts and we judged them and gave out prizes and trophies. It was super cool. Well, we reviewed a lot of videos that year and we chose winners by category and Valerie was the education winner that year, and which was just fantastic. It was a great video. Uh, we were really all very impressed by it. Well. She's been keeping to work on her videos and uh, you know really winning at video creation. So she's gone on to launch a successful YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers teaching about biology topics like amino acids and protein structures, making sense of chemical structures, and many, many other topics. Recently, she's been teaching educators about using technology. She's also teaching a teaching with technology coordinator and professor of biology at Southwestern College. She's a lovely human being who is a delight to talk with and is just, she brightens up my day every time I get to talk to her. And she's just the type of person when you talk with her, you not only feel, do you feel encouraged, you just feel like you can go and you can succeed at whatever it is you're trying to do. So it's my privilege to welcome Valerie to the Visual Lounge. Hi, Valerie. Oh my gosh. Hi, Matt. That was such a lovely introduction. I am just, I'm so honored to be here and it's so nice to see you again. And it's, it is like, just like you said, it's nice to keep seeing you and watching, you know, of course I've watched TechSmith grow and we're all just, you know, growing in this space. And uh, it's really, really great to be here and talk with you about all this cool stuff today. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's awesome to see that like, you know, in 2010, 2011, who would have thought, right? Like that we would, either of us would be still on this kind of this path of this journey making video. Um, but it's, it's so exciting to see the, just how far you've come, the things you've been able to do. And my guess is just, I mean, the sheer number of people you've been able to help is so impressive because I was reading some comments on some of your videos and people are just like, Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do this without, uh, without your videos. I couldn't, I couldn't have gotten through this. Chemistry is hard and you've helped me. And it's, it's just, it's so impressive. You know, that is really my sole motivation in doing all of this. And like when I started YouTube, in fact, when I made that video that I submitted in God, it was that long ago. I forgot it was 10 years ago. Um, it's kind of, it's cringeworthy now, but I was just making videos to help my own students and I had no you know, no idea that I would decide it was like maybe six, seven years ago now that I thought, you know what, these videos might have a wider audience and maybe I should start making things public. And then it just took off. And I had no idea that this would have, like, it changed my life, my personal life, my professional life. It's been, it's been an incredible journey. Truly it has. Well, that's, that's awesome. Before we dig too deep, um, I, you know, I obviously I introduced you a little bit, but is there anything else you'd want our audience to know about you uh, and, and things that would help them to kind of set context here for a conversation today? You know what? I think that you really said it all. I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and webinars lately, uh, especially since the pandemic. And also since I took, I took this new position at my college, uh, teaching with technology coordinator. So now 
I'm helping uh, educators full time with all this tech stuff. And I would say that my goal, um, kind of my driving force behind every video that I make, you you touched on, which is I think that I am pretty effective at giving people that you can do this kind of um, feeling. And and I, I love those kind of comments on my videos too, because that's what I'm going for. It's like, you know, okay, science is hard. You know, now I'm doing, you know, ed tech stuff. This can be very daunting, but it's like, look, it's like everything else in your life. It's a journey, you know, start small. I have, you know, and I, I'm, I'm very, I do a lot of cheerleading um, and I try and make this process, whatever it is I'm trying to, you know, impart to a viewer. I want them to feel good about themselves and about the fact that, okay, you know, I can do this. It might not be easy, you know, just like you said, you know, chemistry is not easy, but but you can do it. Anyone can do it. You just have to sit down and decide that that's what you want. And I think the last piece of context, I would say my entire YouTube journey really became solidified by one comment that I got way back when I first started making my videos public instead of unlisted. And somebody wrote, I just come here for the hugs. And I thought, that's what I want to do. You know, that, that's something that I do in my face-to-face classes too. You know, I think we all just need a little more humanity and video can feel very sometimes not very human, you know, because you're just looking at a screen and, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a piece of glass. So how can I humanize that experience and make students or make viewers feel a part of the process, feel like I'm taking the journey with them? You know, that, that was kind of my, that was my moment. I just come here for the hug. So I, I always think about that. Well, I, I, I love that. And I, you know, as, as, like I said, we've had a chance over the last couple of months to talk a few times and I, I definitely feel that, right. That's very humane. It's very, you're very approachable, which is great. I want to, I want to talk about education for a, a few minutes because I think it's, there's a lot of educators. I see a few, we have a few in the chat with us today. Obviously this last year kind of threw everything up in the air, right? Like, oh my gosh, the world, like in an instant education had to change, like a hard pivot. And that doesn't happen very often in life, right? Like where there's this immediate pivot. And the question I have is like, I, for you, you've built in, you had seven years, eight years, 10 years to build into video creation, right? And so as you work with faculty and staff, what, what do you think the biggest challenge for them has been going from like obviously doing their thing to now having to approach teaching from a, and I know it's not all video, you know, sometimes it's going to be uh, like Zoom classes. It's going to be, you know, they're going to do other interactive type things, but what would you say the biggest challenge has been for educators that you've seen? That's a really easy question for me to answer because in the beginning, and actually when I took this position, the teaching with technology coordinator, I was thinking about the tech, right? I was thinking, okay, I've got all these people who have never sat in front of a camera, who have never either made a video or been on Zoom or any of that stuff. And I thought that that would be where I would spend most of my time. But in fact, you know, it's fairly easy to get educated with tech. Um, it's, I'm not saying it's easy to learn. Sometimes there's a, there's a learning curve, but like everyone kind of knows how to go online or how to go, for example, to, you know, TechSmith Academy, which is just so awesome for this. You guys do an amazing job at supporting, you know, your, your people. Um, and, and you can learn how to do stuff, but the, the real trick is why is talking to a lens so much more challenging than having a real conversation with your students or with another human being. And I realized that 
this is really what faculty were asking. They, they didn't really know that that was the question, but they would just come and say, I don't know why this is so hard. Like I've got all the tech and I watched the tutorials and I know like what to do and I am freaking out. Like this is the hardest thing I have ever done. And why is that? And so I started to think a lot about that. And so I've spent a lot of the last year really kind of focusing on that. And I'm hoping, you know, we can we can dig a little deeper um, and talk about that some more. But I think sometimes we assume that it's going to be the tech challenges and really it's the human part of it. Um, what is missing when you make a video that is not missing in a live class? Um, and I would say, you know, kind of as just a, a short answer is feedback. You're not getting any feedback. Like you and I right now, even though we're both talking to glass, but at least we're talking in real time and I can, you know, see you and you can see me. And we, we have this, we need to know what's going on in a conversation, right? So I want to know as I'm talking right now, and as you're listening, we're thinking what's going on and key, what's going to happen next, right? right. Because we don't want to look like an idiot. I, I think it comes down <laughs> to just, it's just that simple. I don't want to look like an idiot. You don't want to look, nobody wants to look like a fool. And in normal conversation, you're getting that. It's subliminal. I don't think we're aware, but we're seeing whether the person or in a, in a classroom situation, we see if the students are with us. You know, I can look out at my students in a live class, obviously, and see, are they with me? You know, are they, are they just zoned out, you know, and if they're zoning out or someone's asleep, you can mitigate that. Um, how do you do that in a video when it's just you talking and it's that voice in your head saying, I feel like an idiot. I look like an idiot. I sound horrible. You're just, the judgment is so much worse. Yeah. And so I have counseled faculty who are phenomenal presenters live and they can't make a video. And, Interesting. And yeah, and so we've been working a lot with those folks to for them to understand why and to figure out like strategies, you know, of, of what to do. But I do think that that is the key. It's This is not natural to talk and make a video and the feedback is late. Yeah. I it's, mean, e it's even really in this late. setting, right? Like there's that slight delay and it, it feels <laughs> awkward at times because you're like, oh, I don't want, I mean, you know, in Zoom meetings, you're stepping on people's toes and people are trying to talk over each other. There's so many things, but this is, this is great because I want to, I want to go down this, this path a little bit because my next question okay. really for you was, is like, well, how do you help people when they feel scared or self-conscious or hesitant? Like, I know that dialogue. I, I've known that dialogue internally for, for years. And, you know, the only thing is I can say for me, it's, it's a lot of practice, right? Like doing this for a year has made me much more confident looking right at the lens than anything else I think I did previously. But like, you don't, if you're in that situation and these educators are, you don't have the year to practice. You have to, you had to make that switch. And even now I'm guessing a lot of colleges are going to be like, this is going to be part of the routine, right? Like you're going to use technology in these ways. So Valerie, for, for you, as someone who you've been successful in all these, these video opportunities, you've learned, you've mastered, what, what advice do you have for those of us who are like looking at the lens ceiling, like in the, the dialogues playing, I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way I sound. I don't like, I don't have anything to read feedback wise. What do I do? So 
I wish I had a really quick and easy solution, <laughs> of course, but you you hit the first one, which is you really have to practice doing this. So you really can't sit down and expect that your first attempts or your first dozen attempts or more will be something that you will feel comfortable sharing. So I have... I, I've gone outside my own comfort zone to explore this, and I have been talking to people who study theater. Um, I've actually had a vocal coach for the past uh, almost 10 years. Maybe No, not quite that long, but um, she changed my life. And it's really funny because, again, I found her through YouTube. And I took a sabbatical a number of years ago, and I was really going to focus on sound. I'm, I'm really interested in sound because nothing ruins a, a good video faster, right, than bad right. audio. And same thing is true in a classroom or in Zoom, for example. So if, if an instructor loses their audio in Zoom, class is over, right? If you lose your video, kind of sucks, but you can at least hold the class. So for me, I realized like this is all about audio. And so I started learning more about like audio editing and different, you know, interfaces for audio. And I got, I, I'm a scientist, so I got into the tech side. But then I realized I kind of looked at myself and I started looking at my own waveforms. You know how so when you're when you're in a in a video editor like Camtasia and you look at your waveforms at the bottom, and I noticed. I was doing things with my voice that I was not aware of. And you really couldn't hear them unless you had really good headphones on. Mm -hmm. And I decided at that moment, I thought, why have I never considered improving my own voice when I talk for a living? And it was this like light bulb moment. Again, it wouldn't have happened without the YouTube video thing. And I went out into the world and I started asking around and I found, I took a course um, actually this is, it was an amazing course at the university of San Diego, where my husband, um, is a organic chemistry professor and this woman changed my life and I still work with her and she's a vocal and dialect coach. And it was, the, the course was called voice and speech. And I learned that vocal coaching is not just for singers, which is, which is what I always thought. Right. And so anyway, bottom line was that that started to change like my thinking about how to prepare for video. And then again, you know, more theater people. And so I'm starting to train educators using those tools. And so to answer your question, it's, it's very similar to how people learn to start acting, for example, that you have to recognize the stages that you go through when you are preparing to make a video or make a, a recording or whatever. And, you know, step one is you have to, I basically say, start with what you have where you are. Most people have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So start with that and go and start recording yourself, uh, even if it's just the onboard mic. If you can spend like 20 bucks and get a little plug-in lav, you know, a little lavalier mic, it's going to sound a lot better. Try that. And I even tell people, if you're really nervous, don't even listen to it for a while. But start wearing it, start recording yourself. And I really recommend that you move when you do it because something that makes us, re it's funny. It's as soon as we like get ready to push record, everything in the body tenses. Am I right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I think that everybody who's watching this, if you have ever sat down and hit record, all of a sudden you tense, especially in the chest and the throat, which is precisely where you want openness. 
You want it to be free and easy. And you want this, what we call a diaphragmatic breathing or breathing from the belly, right? How do you learn to do all that? You learn to do it by talking while you are relaxed or while you are moving. So don't worry about the neighbors, but go outside, go for a walk or a little jog. It's really nice if you can bounce up and down a little bit and start recording yourself making noise. That's step one. <laughs> I love it. It's kind of crazy. It. It's kind of crazy. But what, what happens is you have to retrain yourself to relax so that it doesn't sound like everything that comes out of your mouth is this huge effort because unfortunately that kills a lot of really good videos. You you don't want somebody, somebody said it really well. I, I wish I knew who it was. They said, you don't want your audience feeling sorry for you as they're watching your video. <laughs> meaning, meaning that and you and I have both seen these videos where you just your your heart goes out to the person. They're trying so hard, and yet it's just such a struggle. And and you see the struggle. And instead of focusing on what they're saying, you're focusing on how uncomfortable they are. Right. And we have to avoid that. Right. That's that's key. So I think that this process of getting comfortable speaking, just focus on the audio first. Like I said, because I think the audio is is key. Um, and get used to being more open, relaxed. And I'm going to say it, you've got to have fun with this. Oh, yeah. Because one of my guiding principles is watch, you know, I want to make videos that I would want to watch. And those are videos that are fun to watch. I'm not saying you have to put on a dog and pony show. You know, you're, I, I hear my calculus professor saying, <laughs> that is not my job. You know? <laughs> it's not my job to be entertaining. But you know, I'm going to disagree because it kind of is, because it can be done, right? I'm not saying in any way diminish your, you know, your goals for the video. You don't have to dumb it down. I'm not talking about the content per se. I'm talking about how you deliver it. Yeah. So that's like my first really big tip is to get used to relaxing and having more fun with your vocals. Well, I, I mean, I love I love that advice because we. Uh, we've shared various tips like that in the in the past, but I think it's it's great to hear that from you. But I love the motion thing and the movement. And we had some comments. Some people said uh, to stand up, and you know when you record audio, don't sit down, which I'm breaking the rule. But uh, that's because I got my setup here. Um, a couple couple questions that came in. I just want to make sure because it's relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, Ian said, yeah, yeah. "Valerie, what camera and audio setup are you using? You look and sound crisp. Obviously, you know in this program we get a lot of people really interested in gear, and I don't want to spend too much time on." gear, but like, oh no! What, are, what is it that you're using to give you that, that look and the sound that you've got? The sound and the look today is actually a little bit uh, different. Normally I use a Canon M50 and I'm really happy that Ian likes the look of this because I did just get a new computer and yesterday I learned that my cable doesn't work. So I am using my backup, which is also a really good camera and it is a Logitech Streamcam Plus. Nice. And I do like it. I really do like it. It's 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 really sharp. It's um it's and it's small. When I set up with the big Canon and I have a really nice Sigma uh 16 mil, you know, um prime lens, that looks amazing. But I have to say on live webinars and stuff, I get a little nervous because sometimes the connection is solid and it's that Canon has a it's an EOS webcam utility and it's kind of buggy. 
So yeah. when I do live events, like when I when my cable didn't work, I was like, no, you know what? I'm not going to mess with it. I'm going to use my tried and true. Um, the mic I really love. This is an Apogee hype mic. It's a it's a really really nice you. It, best USB condenser microphone I've tried. A cheaper option is the in, is the standard is a blue Yeti. I like mm -hmm. that too. Yeah. Yeah. Those well, are, those are really good. Well, that's great. And I, you know, I think it's great to see that you're using a, web, a webcam because we get a, like, we, we talk about, I call it the trifecta of, of purchase order, microphone, lighting, then camera. And you know, a lot of yes. people are like, Oh, we love, we would love the, the mirrorless camera look or the DSLR camera look. And it's, it's just kind of like that expense above, but like it looks great with just a, a cam. And I think it goes to using what you have, right? If you're, your Canon's not working, use your webcam. If you're, if that's not working, exactly. use your phone. If that's not working, use what you've got. Make a video, do something. Big, big tip, have a backup plan <laughs> and have a backup to your backup plan. Hence the headphones today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was struggling on Tuesday when we had our pre uh, pre webinar chat because I had too apparently I had too many Bluetooth devices connected. So just always have something in your back pocket that you, you know if it's a real time sensitive thing. There's a really great thing about video, which is editing. And you know sometimes I will set up everything. I built kind of a, a home office studio, and and all of a sudden my neighbor. Uh, has his gardener on a different, I know all the gardening schedules in my local neighborhood and uh, his, his gardener comes at a different time and I'm all set up and ready to go. And it's like, Oh, are you kidding me? That that's the way it goes. It's just, yeah. you have to, you have to be able to just adjust and it's, it's, you know, it's part of the, the video thing, but at least you can do that with video. Whereas live um, it's harder to, mitigate those things because it's live. It's like, okay, it's not working. Yep. <laughs> now what? We, we know all stressful. about those problems when it, when it comes to live, <laughs> yes. I had people, you know, mowing out today. I'm like, I, I didn't know they mowed on what's today, Thursday at two. I don't, I don't know. Why are they there today? Um, okay. So we talked about relaxing and obviously having fun with it. Those are, those are principles. I think anyone can apply. I think it's probably easier said than done. You know, I think a lot of people, they, they see the lens, they see the reflection, they see themselves and they're like, deer in the headlights. So is, are there other things that you would recommend for people to do to, because obviously we know, obviously educators have had a year of this, but so has everybody else in the world. I, we know a lot of people in the learning development field and corporations, organizations, same thing. We all went to work from home and they're like, Hey, you still need to make content to teach people. And, it, and you can tell me to relax all you want, but then I get... I tense up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. And so the next sort of piece to this is understanding that there are three general phases that we go through. And the first phase is the one everybody is familiar with. We've already talked about that. It's called the struggle phase. And in the struggle phase, your sympathetic nervous system, sorry, I, I teach anatomy, so forgive me, but your sympathetic <laughs> nervous system is the, the flight or fight system. So you know when this kicks in and you know when you sit down and you try and push record that your heart rate goes up and your blood pressure goes up and you start to perspire and you feel like rubbish, right? And usually people will stick in that struggle phase and they just try and work through it. And my suggestion is that's not the way to work through it. Like once you're in the struggle phase at that moment when you're trying to make a video, it's kind of over. It's very unusual that you can 
in that instant kind of push through that. So what your brain needs is more experience when you're not recording how to push through that. And so mm. stage two is called release. And this is when your, your sympathetic division, the flight or fight, it turns off. And the parasympathetic, which we lovingly call the rest and digest system, that kicks in and that causes sort of the opposite effects, right? Your heart rate slows down, your blood pressure drops, you feel more relaxed, but it's not over because if you're in that mode and you think, okay, you know, I've relaxed, I've done, you know, whatever, maybe you do a breathing exercise, maybe you meditate, whatever is your, your thing, right? And now I jump back and I sit back down in front of the camera and what happens? You struggle again, right? The sympathetic division kicks back in. So you're not there yet. There's a third phase, and this really needs a lot of practice, and it's called flow. Um, th that's, that's the way I like to describe it, but it, we actually call it transient hypofrontality, which is a fancy way of saying that your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain in the front that controls all of your high-level thinking, including decision-making, it's also where that judgment, that self-judgment that we talked about earlier that mm -hmm. is telling you that you sound bad and you look bad and you feel like an idiot, all of that stuff, you, you can thank your prefrontal cortex for that, <laughs> but in the flow state, that shuts down. Interesting. And I, I learned these stages from someone who was learning to improv rap because I thought, Rapping has got to be one of the most like live rapping, um, where people like throw out a word or something, you know, and then you you build a, a song over that. I'm thinking, how do those people do that? Like, how did they like what process do they use? And this is how I found out about this. And basically, they've learned to because they practice all the time, they've learned to compress these three stages. So when they get on stage, they feel the struggle. I think all of us who teach, perform, make videos, you know, we all have that initial butterflies in the stomach, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think you can get through that. But then because you've done it so many times, this is where the practicing has to come in, right? Um, you feel that release and then you feel the flow. And so you can rap or you can do improv, you know, stand-up comedy, all of this stuff. I, I think it's the same process and you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable first in order to get there. So that's why I think that recording yourself um, and eventually, you know, not just with audio, but if you're going to make like talking head videos, you know, you've got to look at yourself. Um, it's essential. Ask your friends and family and ask them, tell me one thing I can do to make this better. And you start working and you start small. But I think that if you make a commitment to doing this practice and, and maybe you do it with your singing, maybe you just go outside and talk or whatever you're doing, the key is your brain has to get used to doing it so that when you're getting ready to make that video, your brain is like, okay, I, I know how to do this. And the more videos you make, the faster you'll be able to progress. So like after, after all these years, I have certain things that I do before I record a video. Uh, number one is vocal exercises. I do vocal exercises every single day. And, uh, you know, I do morning meditation. I kind of center myself. I have been, I'm not a scripter. 
So for me, this flow piece is essential because right. for me, a good video, it's all about flow. So I only do one or two takes of every, almost every video I've ever made. I'm, I'm not saying that's going to work for everybody, but it's all about the flow. And if you want your videos to sound natural, like a human rather than a robot or someone reading a script, I think getting to that flow state is really important. So those are kind of my, my three steps. So you've got the struggle, you've got the release and you've got flow and you just got to keep, keep doing it. Wow. That, this, this is awesome. Cause I, I love that you put, it's paired it with the science of it. I, I love this idea. So it leads to a question though. Cause I can, I can imagine someone's out there saying, well, that's great. You know, Valerie has been doing this for a long time. Of course she can, she's taken the time to get the flow. I'd love to spend time to do that. And I, you know, you have to invest. However, Yes. I've got an immediate need. Is it okay right. if my video isn't in the flow state? Is it still worth putting that video out for, for a teaching purpose or training purpose or whatever? Or should I wait until it's good? Because I, I feel like... Never wait. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't wait. Um, and you know what? Actually, it's kind of surprising. I know I'm realizing now as I'm thinking back and judging myself over what I just said, and I'm thinking viewers might think that it's going to take years to do. And, you know, to get really comfortable for, for a lot of people, it is going to take a huge amount of time. But I've had faculty where I've given them these exercises and they've done it in a weekend. And the next week when they sat, sat down to record their first video, like they were trying to record a welcome video for their students, they said it was so much easier. So, you know, they spent, I don't know, a few hours um, over the course of a weekend, practicing and, you know, getting relaxed. And I gave them some vocal exercises and they jumped up and down and made noise and learned. I had them lie on the ground and, and feel, you know, what it feels like to use your whole thoracic volume to really use. You have all this lung real estate and most people don't use it, you know? Um, so they learned that and they said it made a huge difference. I watched their videos before and after, and I can tell you, it made a huge difference. You really can't wait because it's never going to be as good as you want it to be. YouTube and, and videos will will break you from perfectionism <laughs> for sure. Right. Well, and I, <laughs> I, I think I, I would also just add in there. I think the problem is that sometimes people want to compare. They want if, if they're watching you, Valerie, and, they're, and they watch your videos, they'll say, well, I want to be at Valerie's level. But the reality is, you've invested years into this and and so they, they can get there there's no doubt people could get there but they, they can't have the same expectations i think that comparison sometimes gets us in trouble oh comparison is the thief of joy right was it theodore rose who said that i said i want to say the I, oh god don't quote me on that um but i really do now, now i'm obsessed like who said that but i really think that it's it's important to realize that this is a marathon this video journey. It's not a sprint. So a lot of people do ask me, like, do I watch other YouTubers? And the answer is yes. Um, but I'm very cautious because sometimes we'll watch another YouTuber who will have this amazing style and we'll love it and we want to emulate it. And I can tell you that that doesn't work. And for you educators out there, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say, if you get a new position and you're teaching a new course and one of your colleagues is kind enough to share with you their lecture notes, let's say, or their sample exams, educators know it doesn't really help that much, surprisingly. Um, it, it can give you an idea of scope or like 
what the general levels of expectation is for the class you're teaching, but that's not the way your brain works. So if I were to sit down and, and say, I want to make a video like X, it's going to be a horrible failure. I think the goal here is to find your own voice and to figure out how to be comfortable enough to let that out, because that's what people want to see, whether it's, you know, your clients or your students, they want to see you. They don't want to see you trying to emulate someone else, and they don't want to see you struggle. In in a lot of ways, people think that YouTube is a very nasty place. And it's true. There are people out there that just really enjoy making other people feel bad. I don't really focus on that um, because that's their issue. But most viewers and students especially, they so appreciate the effort you are making in making these videos. And so they're with you, you know, think about that. Like they want you to succeed. And so that's something that can really help. So don't don't fixate so much on what you really wish you could do that you can't do right now. Realize that wherever you are, people are going to appreciate. They appreciate the struggle and they appreciate the effort that you're putting into it. It's so much better when a faculty member makes his or her own videos and shares those as opposed to curating everything. Right. You, yeah, you lose, you know, and I'm not saying, I believe me, I'm not saying that that you shouldn't share uh, great videos made by other people, but students want to see you. They they really do. They want to know what's important to you because obviously that's what's important to them. Um, that's that's what they want. So yeah, the, the perfectionism. I mean, I think a little tagline here would be, make videos that you hate until you start making videos that you love. I love that. You have to go you have to go in that order though because you're not going to sit down and make videos you love. Guaranteed. If you do, please send me your your uh, YouTube channel cuz I want to see that. That would be uh, awesome. Maybe someone absolutely. maybe someone can. Yeah, and and who knows. Know. But that's I love that advice. Make videos that you hate until you make videos that you love. That's wonderful advice. Um, I want to take a, another question from the audience and we you may or may not have advice here because it, it actually uh, uh, ties into scripting. Um, but then okay. we'll, we've got some other stuff to talk about too as well. Hannah asks, any tips for talking with the script? How can I align my eyes with the script and camera? Um, and you just said you don't script, which I think we talk a lot about scripting at TechSmith because I think there there can be a lot of value, especially for like if you're creating a corporate tutorial that you're like, I've got a time yes. limit. I, I want to keep this three minutes, four minutes. Scripting can allow you to do that. But I love what you're saying. Like you are going to get into the flow. You know your topic. You're obviously an expert. You can you can improv on that and do that well. I've actually, one of uh, a video that I've, I've made very similarly, I, I wrote... Uh, 30 scripts for 30 short little two minute videos did that. But then we did one video it was like a summary, like nine, it's called nine tips. And I just, I just improv it. Right. Like I did all the work. I knew all this sub stuff and that, that, but that video has been very successful comparatively, even to the, 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 the to tr actual training. So. You know, I, I am not anti-script at all. And I think that something to consider is that having a script makes most people more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So yes, if you want to have a script and that's going to increase your comfort level and you're going to be breathing and speaking better, by all means, use it. I'm, I'm not saying that scripts are bad. Um, for me, 
it's bad because for some reason I can't get over that robotic reading feeling. Um, but I, I really appreciate the, the question because eye contact is key. And most people have kind of figured out a way to either set up their camera with, um, with their computer monitor, like just behind it, or, you know, another, if you have another device, obviously that you can put on a stand, it's really helpful. Um, I find that the more you can look straight into that lens, first of all, please know where your lens is. Uh, if you're using like a laptop or something, I've had <laughs> faculty who literally thought they were looking at the lens, but they were like looking at the microphone or the speaker or something like that. So that gives you a real sense of, you know, th that you are talking to the viewer, but that does make it challenging to look at something else. So if you have, sometimes I do, you know, have notes or I have uh, slides or something I outline, um, I will either put it very, very close to that lens if possible. Or the other thing is kind of splitting the difference is probably kind of what you did with your, with the tips video you were talking about where because of the magic of editing, right? I can look at my script or my notes and then I look at the camera and I, I speak that Yep. and then I can look away and, I, and I'll just edit that. Um, you know, that's another way of doing it, but yeah, if scripting makes you feel more confident and keeps you, I, I do also understand, you know, sometimes for some folks without a script, things get really long and the longer you go, the more editing there is. And it's, it's, oh, yes. it's a challenge for sure. But yeah, try and try and get it close to your lens or, you know, experiment with different setups. I, I actually, oh, let me share this. This is really good. This is so nice to work with faculty for a year because They've given me so many great ideas and things to try. Um, I had someone who had a, a very limited setup and they just, they couldn't do what I was suggesting. So I suggested something else. I said, how about this? What if you record your script and you wear headphones and you play it and you can play and pause? And she basically just repeated her own script that she was getting from her audio. And you know... It took her a little while to kind of get the timing down so it sounded nice. Mm -hmm. That worked for her. And I thought that was, a, I, that just, I was like, oh, this is a great solution. Um, that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I actually want to try it just to see if it would be fun. Um, but it's definitely a, it's very equipment dependent. You know, you can also get those little external like monitors for pretty cheap. Um you know, you know, my Gosh. recommendation is actually tell actual teleprompters and you can get inexpensive ones, you know, but they're yeah. inexpensive, 150, 200 bucks that it has the glass. And so your camera is actually the, the, like an iPad will sit there. It will reflect on the glass and the cameras be shooting through the glass. And we, we have yes. a small one and that, that thing works great because hmm. then you are actually seeing the words where the camera is. Um, it's not for every setup. It's I, I wouldn't invest if I wasn't going to do a lot of, uh, you know, like script reading on camera. Uh, the other thing yeah. I said is an audio first workflow, especially if you're going to do lots of screen content or slides or things like that where you don't necessarily need to be on camera all the time. That works yes. really well. We do all of our tutorials that way. And that saves someone from having to, to try to, because it is really hard to like, some people are really good at reading a script. And, but when you're on camera, like you said, it's really easy to get robotic. It's really easy to even just like the eyes, if it's not set up just right, your eyes look like they're twitching and that's a never, Mallory, no one looks good when their eyes are going like shifty eyes. <laughs> yes. What are you looking at? <laughs>
Well, yeah, hopefully no, that I helps that. Hannah. Hopefully she she gets yeah. some ideas. I know she's gotten some comments in the chat from other viewers as well. A, a couple other questions I want to talk about before we get to our speed round at the end of the show. Um, okay. I want, I want to talk about uh, engagement. Um, so obviously there's a lot of talk in education about engaging your learners. You kind of talked about that, like your students want to hear from you. What have you found that works well to, obviously other than just being present, and speaking to your your learners, what what can video creators be doing, educators be doing to help their their viewers or audience to engage with the videos? Any thoughts around that topic? I, I do actually, and I think that this is an area where technology is going to uh, help us quite a lot. There are a lot of new products that are out there that, you know, some of them are integrating with uh, class management systems. We use Canvas. And so we've got some that are integrating with Canvas very easily where an instructor can take a video that they've made and it can still live, you know, in YouTube or wherever you would like to post it. But you can make the video interactive and put sections in there where students can uh, either answer questions or, or ask questions. Uh, you can actually embed quizzes you get analytics so that mm -hmm. you can see your students as they watch all the way through. Um, this is something that I have been helping uh, my faculty with. It's not something that I personally have done yet because this past year I haven't been teaching classes myself. But I've actually heard some really good things about it. There, there's, there's also this push toward um, it's the same kind of thing as like watch parties where Everybody gets together and watches a video together, um, like a Netflix party, but, you know, for um, differential equations instead. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like it's pull out the popcorn? But, um, but the students are communicating, for example, uh, on Discord or something while with the instructor while they are watching it. And instead of having a lecture or a completely asynchronous experience, um, I've heard some really good stories about engagement there. So I do think that this is going to be the new the new direction in education, especially after this pandemic. There's just a lot of interest in exactly this question. So we have the videos, but what's the what what's next in terms of engaging, making sure that the students watch the videos and make sure that they have, you know, some uh I, I do like to have some accountability. So like pre-pandemic, my videos would fall into a couple different categories where, you know, sometimes the students would have to watch the video before the class. And then there would always be something that we would be doing in the class so that the students would know they actually had to watch it. <laughs> um, sometimes it's more of a, a deep dive. So after you have a class and you've had the activity and you're really like diving into this difficult topic, then there'll be a, okay, this is what comes next. And often I have those videos as optional. So if a student is, you know, going into, you know, whatever, if they want to go into some sort of medical specialty, in my case, this is something you're going to want to know. But for most of you, this is probably not something you're going to need. Um, and then a lot of problem solving videos where, you know, you give a sample problem. I like to run through several problems and then I give additional problems that I don't solve but I solve them somewhere else or we'll solve them in class. I mean, it's not super interactive. Mm -hmm. It's not interactive in real time, but at least they're engaging with the stuff. 
Um, they know they're going to be held accountable. And, you know, it's really nice. My students love it, actually, when they see exam questions that come out of my video content. Yeah. And so, you know, they know, because they know me, <laughs> they know that I put a lot into these videos. So for me, these are the most important things for you to know. So that's what I test them on, obviously. I'll try to use the same images on the exam. That really reduces their anxiety, right? Because they've seen that image before. They've they've had a tutorial that explains step-by-step what that is. So when they see it on the exam, they feel totally prepared. And that that's the other thing we're going for, right, is to reduce student anxiety so that we can really assess what they know and try and help them to get out of their struggle, right, which is their sympathetic division, which is going crazy during exams. We all know that. Exams oh. are oh yes. in, inherently stressful. So when they see things that they've seen before in your videos, it really makes a big difference. They, they love that. Well, Valerie, that leads to another great question, and, and then we'll jump into our speed round, which will be a, will just be a, a load of fun here. Uh, okay. What what I, I'm so curious. You say. <laughs> so it's oh, they're easy. They're short answer easy. Uh, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh, but what I'm curious about is the effectiveness portion because it's easy to say like let's invest all this time and effort in making these videos, and obviously you've been doing it a lot and you've seen you've seen it. But how do you know when your videos are being effective? So like obviously you've got some testing going on there. So if they saw in the video and then they're tested on it, you could see like did you know did most people understand that? Did they did they succeed at what you're testing? But are there other things that you're looking at to to make sure your videos are actually hitting the mark? Or advice you'd give to uh, folks to help them to understand like how do you know that your video time, effort spent is actually going to pay off in kind of the right ways. A great example of that was labs. Um, so I teach a lot of classes, human anatomy and physiology type classes where, you know, or in principles of human physiology, we have a lot of labs that are very, they're very tech heavy. And in a traditional lab class, I'm talking about face-to-face, obviously, you, the students are supposed to read stuff ahead of time. And then you arrive and the instructor goes through what's called a pre-lab and they'll give you kind of any changes in the protocol that may be uh, needed because, you know, the reagent isn't as active as, you know, it typically is, whatever. And they kind of show you stuff and then the students do the lab and then there's a post-lab with questions and you're trying to, you know, to make sure that they know that they got out of the lab what they were supposed to. Some of those will follow into the following week after they have time to to do the data analysis or whatever. Well, I found that as technology, you know, increases and the labs get more and more tech heavy with equipment and computers and everything else, I started to realize that this would be a great use for video. So I call them pre-lab videos. So instead of me taking the lab time, so this saves time in the classroom too, because most labs are like three hours, four hours. And when there's a lot to do, you don't have necessarily 20, 30 minutes of pre-lab time. You know, the students were running out of time to do everything they were supposed to. So I did the videos instead. And what that allowed me to do was to get exactly the angle that I wanted, show them in advance what it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. This is your first lab using a spectrophotometer. This is the interface. And, you know, I have 
I'm wearing like a, it's a, a point of view. I, I, I love to use GoPros for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I just wear it. It's super easy. I film myself doing the thing so that when they get to the lab, there's not 10,000 things that they've never seen before. At least it's fresh in their brain. Okay. I, I've sort of, you know, I sort of know what to expect here. And what I can tell you in terms of like, how do I know it's effective is first of all, I do a pre-lab uh, exercise. Um, they have to answer some questions about the video. So I already know that they've watched it and, you know, they've got the the general, excuse me, the general gist of, of what they're supposed to do. But I also um, find out that they finish with more time to spare. They ask better questions during the lab. So the lab isn't filled with me of logistics. How do I do right. this? The questions that I get are the questions I want, which is, okay, so, you know, when I added this competitive inhibitor and I, I see this response, but now I'm wondering like, so does that mean that the molecule is binding at, you know, and I'm getting the real questions <laughs> um, and less of just the nuts and bolts, you know, do I push the red button before the green button? That's how I know that that's a good use of my time because the lab becomes a much more enriching experience and they're less worried. Students are very stressed in the lab. They're so, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a stressful environment. And uh, so things like that, I mean, that's just one example, but um, I was working with someone in automotive technology. I told him the same story and I said, can you film this stuff ahead of time so that when your students come in, they at least have seen it. Obviously it's different, you know, when you touch it with your hands, but he found the exact same thing. He found that the questions were better, the students were more comfortable and they finished on time. That, so, that's awesome example. Awesome example. Yeah. And I, so I love that. I love that the, the real world application and, you know, and I'm guessing you get to use those videos for multiple years. The equipment doesn't change all that often. So yes, ho hopefully I, I will <laughs> say, you know, what, whatever kind of training you're doing, there is a big amount of time that you invest in making this video, but if you can use it, for several semesters or years or whatever, or just tweak it a little bit as something changes. Believe me, you know, the time that it saves in the long run is, it is worth it. It is, it is really worth it. Yeah. Well, Valerie, yeah. this has been, this has been awesome. You've given us so much good information. So we're gonna have a little bit of fun with what we like to call the speed round. Before we go to the speed round, okay. I just want to thank everyone who's tuned in today. We've been, I've been following the comments. Jesse's been following the comments and you guys are awesome. A lot of great conversation going on. And of course, if you guys like what you're seeing, if you're listening to the podcast, you're watching on YouTube later, don't forget to like, subscribe, give us ratings, whatever you want to help us know how we can do better, what we're doing well, so we can make more of it. Okay, are you ready? Now, I'm gonna preface this first question, Valerie. I, I, I learned that you have a wood-fired pizza oven, and that got me excited because we've been making a ton of pizzas since my son bought a, a, a portable pizza oven. Uh, so what is your favorite wood-fired pizza toppings? Meant to be quick, Valerie, come oh, on. I'm a oh, I am a purist, man, Margarita. That's, that's my jam. So you've gotta have the fresh San Marzano tomatoes, yes. fresh basil, olive oil. And basta. You don't need anything else. <laughs> and sorry to everybody who now is hungry and wants lunch. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> so I was, I was telling my, my, this next question preface is I was talking to my nine-year-old and said, I'm going to talk to somebody who knows about penguins, who has studied penguins all over the world. What do you want to know about penguins? She's, he said, what is the biggest type of penguin? Well, the biggest penguin, that's a great question. The biggest penguin living today is the emperor penguin, 
but there have been penguins in the evolutionary past that were even bigger. And in fact, I have seen the fossils. I did uh, my first field work with penguins was in New Zealand. And um, at the University of Otago, they have uh, some amazing specimens of penguin fossils. So get yourself after the pandemic. I think New Zealand is closed, right? They're, yeah. They're, you just can't, can't go there right now. But um, there are actually fossils as tall as me. And wow. I said, wow, I have, I'm living in the wrong time because <laughs> that, that would be awesome. <laughs> but um, yeah, the emperor penguins, they are, they're the ones that you see, like the March of the Penguins, the ones that are overwintering mm-hmm. in Antarctica. Those are the biggest ones. All right. Next, another penguin question. I promise we'll have some other ones that are not penguin yes. questions. But uh, oh, what's no, a, I love the penguin. Bring, bring it on. I'm what's the penguin cra- prof. <laughs> then what's the craziest fact about penguins that most people don't know about? So something that just like would blow our minds about penguins. Blow your mind. Well, you know, penguins are often said to be monogamous and they're not. I, I hate to break everyone's bubble on this, but we know for a fact, because we've done genetic analysis, that uh, male penguins will generally prepare a nest and give you know small gifts. Like I'm thinking about things like Adelie penguins, which you've all seen. Those are the classic black and white, no frills, no extra, no extra yellow feathers, you know, in Antarctica. And the males will do this big, you know, presentation. They court. They sort of sing together. They they do a little ecstatic display. Their hormones get in sync, and they mate. And then what will happen is the male will go after the after the mating. The male will go and gather more stones, and he keeps doing all this great like housework and preparations. And what we found is that a very significant percentage of females, while the male is doing all this work, um, they're mating with other males to ensure that they're going to have fertile eggs. So those estimates of infidelity range, you know, as high as 30%. So we find like, so what they do is uh, we analyze the genetics of the chicks and we find that 20% of the time, sometimes more, the males are raising chicks that aren't theirs. Oh, wow. That is mind-blowing. I wow. know. So interesting. Is it? Oh, <laughs> it's okay. kind of amazing. Next question. Best video investment you suggest for others to make? So gear, what something that you would suggest to help people make better videos? Microphone. Microphone. Get a microphone. Whatever budget you have, if you are recording videos on your phone, and you, you've got 20 bucks, get a little lav microphone that you can plug in. Depending on your phone, you might need an adapter because nobody has audio jacks anymore. Yeah. Um, but that there's a little, uh, I always recommend for folks on a budget for a USB mic. Unfortunately, I don't have it with me, but it's the Samsung Go mic. Yeah. I think those are like 35 bucks on Amazon. Those are awesome. I mean, the video quality is incredible for the money. So I would say a, a mic. Perfect. Next question. Uh, what's one creator that should be on the viewer, our viewers radar that is making great videos that they might not know about? Michael Wesch, W E S C H. I didn't even hesitate. Michael Wesch teaches, um, uh, cultural anthropology at Kansas state university. God, I hope I got that right. I believe so. And he, he is remarkable. He, he has really embraced this whole, um, te- he calls it teaching without walls. You guys have got to check him out. Please tell him I said, hi, he is an amazing human being. And when you watch him, 
you will say he was born to be on YouTube. And the shocking thing, I hope this is okay, Michael, if you see this, the shocking thing was when he and I spoke about YouTube and when we first met, he said that the time it took for him to get over that fear of, of publishing his video um, was many years. Like, I thought he was just a natural, one of those people that, you know, we talked about early on, some people just naturally feel, yeah. I thought he was one of those. He said, no, he, he, it took years for him to get comfortable enough. And I just said, wow, you know, we got to talk about this. Like, what is it that makes video production so hard? But check him out. His, his videos are phenomenal. Awesome. Well, our last question in, it's another fun one. When you were a kid, what did you want to do as an adult? So I saw my first penguin at the age of five. My peng, my parents, my penguins, my parents. <laughs> <laughs> they were penguins. Was, Your parents were penguins. No, this makes so much sense now. Do you know, do you know that would explain my whole life? Um, <laughs> no, they took me to a marine park and I sat down and I watched penguins all day. And I said, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I never wondered what I was going to major in. Uh, what I should do in college. I, I never had that. What am I going to do with my life? Um, I never wavered. At, at the age of five, it was set. So um, I think I, I find it fascinating, the people that have those experiences. My husband had it. Um, he was given at age five also a chemistry set. And that was it. So I just always knew, and penguins have always been, and I branched out. I've studied other seabirds. Um, I love frigate birds. I've worked with boobies. So I, I can say that, that yep. I studied boobies. Um, so that's fun. And, um, <laughs> and I just, I love seabirds. They're just, they're incredible. And so I don't know if I believe in reincarnation, but for me, it would make a lot of sense. Because well, either I was a penguin before or this life is some sort of preparation. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I was going to make a joke about the how the penguins imprinted upon you. But Garth in the chat says 20% yeah. chance they weren't both your, pengu your penguins. So anyway. <laughs> you know, I love it. Garth, you are awesome. And by the way, I just, I got to say that, you know, the, the whole penguin prof thing has really worked in my favor because uh, I knew what I had to call the channel, but most people love penguins. They're very lovable. Yeah. Whereas a friend of mine studies vultures. And I just don't think that would have worked so well. Vultures are amazing. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have that mass appeal, you know, that penguins have. For sure. Well, Valerie, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you. You've been a wonderful guest. We appreciate all your, your giving and sharing today. It's been just absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much. And just as we wrap up here today, I just want to remind everybody, thank you again for tuning in, listening to the podcast, watching the videos. But thanks, everybody. That's all we got for today. We will see you guys all next time. Thank you.